Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And let the Word of God speak to us. I wish that when we opened the Word of God, we would feel like Moses, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, that we're on holy ground when we open the Word of God because he's speaking to us. And when he spoke to Moses from the burning bush, he told Moses to remove his shoes because he was on holy ground. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, you know it very well. Everybody likes to quote it. Do you know what it means? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. There is power that works in each of you that are believers. Because you're a believer, that means that you've been regenerated, which means that you've been justified, which means that you were elected in Christ Jesus before the world began, which means that you've been adopted to be one of his children. And so you have power in you, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of Christ's Spirit. It's Jesus Christ in us by the Holy Spirit. I can do all things. So there is nothing that God's Word asks that you can't do. There's nothing that God's Word tells you to do that you can't do. You can do it. And you can do it easily if you'll submit to Him and do it with His strength. Because there's a power that worketh in us, Ephesians 3.21. It's by the power of the Holy Ghost that we're able to be filled with all joy and peace and abounding hope. If we come back a few pages to Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, and no, there's no reason for me to give you some long introduction. Let's just get rolling. God's Word is speaking to us. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And the Apostle Paul said that in a context of contentment, no matter what his conditions were. And his conditions were negative at times, somewhat worse than yours this past week. But he was content. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Galatians chapter 5 contrasts the flesh against the spirit. Verse 16, this I say then. This is Paul again, our beloved apostle. Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. You're a schizophrenic, contradictory mess. And so am I. Because the spirit part of us inside, the new man, wants to do things a certain way and is influenced and has the power of the Holy Spirit if we'll walk in that direction. And we have a flesh that is powerful also that is opposed to everything of the Spirit of God. And marriage comes down to the Spirit or the flesh. And every one of you that are married should know that. Sometimes you speak in the flesh. Sometimes you speak in the Spirit. It is a choice you make every day. So Paul said in that 16th verse, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. They're contrary. And begin at verse 18 is a long list of the works of the flesh. And if we roll down through them, we can see there's adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. There's four sexual sins. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. There's a marital sin. Variance. There's a marital sin. Emulations. There's a marital sin. Wrath. Marital. Strife. Marital, seditions, heresies, envyings, marital, murders, marital. You say, how's murder marital? If you're angry with your brother without a cause, it's murder. 
Is that a, do I need a longer explanation? Nope. Drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, people that have marriages like this shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, it says, of the which I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we want to get all those works of the flesh out of our marriages and put these into our marriages. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Would that make a marriage better? Joy. Would that make a marriage better? Peace. Long-suffering. Would that help your marriage if you were longer-suffering instead of biting back or blowing off? I love the Bible. It's just too good and obvious, plain and simple. Gentleness. Would that help your marriage? Goodness. Faith. Meekness. Temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ, if you're Christians, have crucified the flesh, we've killed it. We've nailed it to the cross. We've mortified it with the affections and lusts of that flesh. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know, who cares if we're born again or not? Once you're born again, who cares if you're born again or not? If you're born again and you live in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. Let's make sure we put the emphasis where it belongs to be. If we spend the rest of our lives talking about how we get born again, we're not going to do what we're supposed to do as being born again. And as being born again, we're supposed to walk in the Spirit, which means those wonderful nine things in verses 22 and 23. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. And while that can apply to church members, it also applies to spouses. Do you ever provoke your spouse? Is the Pope a Catholic? Which answer is more yes? Thank you, Mark. We'll say extra prayers for you, Tammy. There it is. Brethren, these two categories and these long lists is the flesh, and you've got it, and the spirit, and you've got it. If you... Just relax and say, I'm tired of fighting all the time. I'm just going to let it all hang out. That's the flesh. And there is a power in you that works the flesh as well. It is a wild power of the devil set on fire of hell. And these things will come roaring out in your life. Or you can say, I am going to walk after the Spirit. And I'm going to do the Spirit's things. I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to make sure that we're always at peace. And God, the Holy Spirit, by the power that is in you, will help you bring those to pass in degrees you can't imagine. That's the issue. It's a choice. It's not that we wait around. I wonder what power is going to get me today. Is it going to be the Spirit that's going to move me today or the flesh? You make a choice. That's why it says walk in the Spirit. Otherwise, you're going to walk in the flesh. If we relax, we walk in the flesh. Because it's a warfare. If you just say the first thing that pops into your mouth, and by the way, if you say the first thing that pops into your mouth, you are an insane idiot. Because the first thing that pops into your mouth is wrong. That's why the Bible says, study to answer. That's why the Bible says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. speak. Okay, with that under our belts, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
There's a difference between the flesh and the spirit. And when you look at these lists, when I'm preaching on marriage, that is what we think about. So we look at the list, how many of these apply to marriage. The vast majority of them apply to marriage. When we look at the fruit of the spirit, how much of it applies to marriage? Does love apply to marriage? Would that help marriage? That's why I ask. Yes. So these can apply to marriage And I want you to think that way. Now let's flip back to the Song of Solomon and see what a marriage should look like and ask if we can get there by the flesh or by the Spirit. Song of Solomon for just a few minutes. Song of Solomon. The Spirit can help us have great marriages. A marriage built on the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 would be a wonderful marriage. Whenever I have the opportunity with a few minutes to preach at a wedding, I want to remind the couple that the closer they walk with the Lord, the more power of the Holy Spirit they're going to have, and the more of those things are going to be born in their lives. They're going to bear that kind of fruit. And with that kind of fruit, a marriage is going to be great. I want my wife to be full of long-suffering. Why do I say... (laughs) Why? Because she needs it. Why? Because she's married to me. Is that good enough? But you know, it all, it all works. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. Always doing good for your spouse. It's, it's, we can do it. Lord, help us. Song of Solomon. There's five poetic books in the Bible. They are stuck in between the history books of the Bible and the major prophets. Five books of poetry using poetry in a broad term to describe these books that are very different from the history books and very different from the prophets. The first poetic book in the Bible is Job, and the P word that describes the message of Job is patience, cheerfully enduring negative events. And the New Testament tells us that Job is about patience. The next book of the poetic books is Psalms, and the P word that describes Psalms is praise. The next book is Proverbs, and the P word is Prudence, a synonym of wisdom. The next book is Ecclesiastes, and the P word describing it is philosophy. The next book is the Song of Solomon, and the P word describing it is, oh yes, passion is what we want. Passion. Can we be passionately married? The Lord wants us to be passionately married. A passionate marriage will bring God's blessing on us spiritually. Do you know there's warnings in the Word of God that if we're not passionate about our marriages and we don't have our marriages the way they should be, we get hurt spiritually. Now this morning I preached about us enhancing our relationship and fellowship and friendship with God, but this afternoon here in this service we can hurt that relationship. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. God said about the women of Israel, they are coming to my altar with tears. I see their tears, therefore, I will not accept the gifts of their husbands. Their their husbands are going to church. They're bringing gifts. They want to honor and worship God. The Lord says, I don't see it. I don't care what they're doing. They have crying wives. And you know the Lord doesn't need to see tears outward. He can see tears inward. If you do something to your wife to cause her to cry, inside or outside, you are going to be hindered spiritually. It is the word of God. It is Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. Okay, you don't believe me. 
This is a waste of time because you should know the verse, but I want to show you. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. Verse 13, and this have ye done again. This is the last book of the Old Testament. It's a warning to us. It scares me. It scares me for you. It scares me for me. I want our church to be the best that we can give the Lord. And we want to have passionate marriages. With passionate marriages, he'll be passionate toward us. This have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. What if God looks at our assemblies and does not receive our worship with good will? Because we have sad wives. You say, are you going to go that far and say sad wives? You bet I am. Do I have a biblical basis for doing so? Right here is a good start. Is there a C word in a verse that we need right now? A man was supposed to stay at home for one year to do what? Cheer up his wife. Cheer up his wife. One year at home to cheer up his wife. The Lord doesn't like sad wives. You say, it sounds like you're preaching at us husbands today. <laughs> Why not? The buck stops with you. The buck stops with me. She's easy. If I'll just be a little bit like the Song of Solomon. Wow. If I'm a little bit like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, this is what the Bible says to us. Does it say anything in 1 Peter 3, 7? Husbands, honor your wives or your prayers will be hindered. We want the best marriages, families, and church that we can possibly have. And right now, the part of our lives where Jesus has given us some sayings of his and some words of his and some commandments. Remember John 14 from this morning. We want to keep those sayings and those commandments so that we can have a closer relationship with God. It will also bless us because his rules are not grievous. His yoke is easy and it will give us the best life possible even if we're not saved. But since we are saved and we do it, we have the best life possible. Our spouse has the best life possible. And when your spouse has the best life possible, you have a double best life possible. And then the Lord comes and rewards you with his presence and it doesn't get any better than that. That's as good as it gets on earth. In heaven, we won't even be married to our spouse. But that doesn't mean you can neglect her or him while we're here. Song of Solomon chapter 4. What verse do you want to pick out of it? Should we just do this? Close enough. A garden enclosed is my sister. My spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. I can prime that pump. Oh, I just picked a verse. Which verse do you want me to pick? And I was modest with it. But I want verse 9. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine, and the smell of thine ointments than all spices. And we've got three exclamation marks in Song of Solomon chapter 4 and verse 10. And so we have this book with eight chapters in it. Look what it says in chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, 
as a seal upon thine arm. Seal me. We are sealed to each other. Maybe that's where the Mormons got their idea. Sealed together. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Is your marital love strong as death? Death is kind of strong. Death is a pretty powerful thing. Is your love with your spouse as strong as death? Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Are you that jealous? Do you love your spouse that much? you want your spouse all to yourself? Like the Song of Solomon says in various ways, the coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Is your marital love like coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame? If not, why not? You promised it when you got married. You sure were thinking it when you got married. You picked the one of the whole universe that you could have a most vehement fire with. After all, you picked them. We're not dealing with arranged marriages. I do think arranged marriages would work better in some cases because then you seduce a person on the inside of marriage and then instead of outside, then once you get married, you find out how boring marriage is compared to seducing a person when you're not married to them because when you're not married to them, it's sin and sin is always more seductive than doing it the right way. But when you had arranged marriages, you, you seduced that poor little strange girl that was dropped off at your front door by your daddy inside a marriage and you would have been very delicate about it. I'm just asking you, I'm asking me. Many waters cannot quench love. Is the love in your marriage quenched? And to what degree is it quenched? Neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. The price of love is too high. What is the value on your marital love? About $79.85? Or do you have a million-dollar love? Is there a million-dollar love story going on at your address? It's a... We have this in the Bible. This isn't Jonathan Crosby. This isn't some marriage manual from anybody. This is from, except from the Lord. This is God speaking to us. These are the words of Jesus to us. I want a marriage just like that. And we're close. You say, well, why aren't you all the way there? Well, it says it would utterly be condemned. I don't even know how much that is. Can we make it better? Ab obviously. Yes, we talk about it all the time. That means Sherry and me. We talk about it all the time. We're happier than we've ever been. Can we be happy? Yes. Let's just keep doing it the right way. Remember yesterday morning? Wonderful. Okay. Courteous, commending, doting, gracious, and thankful words lift the heart and mind of any listener. Paul and the rest of the Bible deal in general rules for marriage and speech. Can you apply the truth? Because I'm not going to tell you what to say. I want to tell you something. That is ridiculous, and I'm not going to do it. Because you should be able to figure it out. And do you know why I know that you figured it out? Because you're married. And as I'm talking to married people today. You figured it out once. And if you lost your spouse, and you know this is an ugly way of dealing with marriage, but if you lost your spouse, I believe you'd figure it out the second time. Because you'd find another spouse. So you know how to do it. So you don't need me to tell you how to do it. And that's why God doesn't tell you how to do it. Do you know what God tells you to do? Do it. 
That's the saying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, that is a saying of the Lord Jesus Christ that we should keep, and that is to have passionate marriages. We're studying John 14 exegetically, where God's loving friendship depends on our obedience. And I've just shared some other verses with you. God warns about disobedience in this part of our lives. We can hinder our prayers. Men, we can hinder our prayers by not treating our wives right, treating them with honor, treating them specially, treating them with knowledge, the knowledge that God expects us to have about a wife. Our prayers are hindered. He will not receive our gifts at the altar, Malachi 2.13. And if we defraud our spouses, and don't think that that's just sexually, but if we defraud our spouses, if you defraud your spouse, you give an opening to Satan, that Satan can tempt you, 1 Corinthians 7.5. It's all in the word of God. So that while I'm preaching from John 14 in the morning, if we don't have the marriages that we should, it is not going to work. Because it's part of the sayings of Jesus that we're not keeping. And we want to keep everything that he taught us to do. It is a sure fact that both men and women are greatly affected by words spoken to them. You have five senses, but the audio sense of hearing is often neglected or abused. Seduction is achieved easily and most often by speech and words in any other ways. Go read the Song of Solomon and see about the honey and oil that flows from that strange woman's mouth. Learned men know the L word is the fastest way to win a woman for good or bad. But we want to win our wives for righteousness. Rejection and hurt and pain are also accomplished quickly and lastingly by words. Words are incredibly powerful, and how they are presented can enhance them even further. Logical discussion, as if marriage were business, with critical suggestions provided, is hopelessness. That's not romance. That's not passion. That's not love. Attentive, kind, loving words can fill the soul with love and joy to respond strongly. Cruel, harsh, critical, negative words can crush the spirit. Communication may be the most important aspect of marriage. Withholding information is cruel and counterproductive and not friendly. I can't even imagine a husband not telling his wife everything or a wife not telling her husband everything. Withholding information is cruel, counterproductive, and not friendly. Jesus in John chapter 15, which is the next chapter we're going to get to, he says, I used to call you servants, but now I'm calling you friends because as a friend, I tell you everything. So, if your marriage is friendly, what does that mean? You talk about everything. We talk about everything. We always have talked about everything, and it's only 43 years of practice at talking about everything. Business-like talk in marriage is inadequate. It defrauds your spouse and disrespects a spouse because marriage isn't a business. You can change your speech today, brethren. You can walk in the Spirit instead of walking in the flesh, and so can I. We can do better. Your spouse hopes you will change. We hope you will change because we want God's blessing in this church. You have the power to change. Get rid of bad habits. Familiarity breeds contempt. It's a shame that most spouses address each other with less carefulness than they do others. Avoiding this requires a conscientious and dedicated effort to exalt your spouse. You can do it. You innately grasp the old adage, you know this, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. I want you to think about your marriage. How often do you dip in the vinegar? How well does it work? 
Have you ever dipped in the vinegar? You say, well, thank you for calling my spouse a fly. Well, I'm sorry that that's the way the adage was formed in America. I don't know why it says that, but that's what it says. You can, you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Have you ever used vinegar in your marriage? Ask God to forgive you and ask your spouse to forgive you. Honey works better. It's sweetness. It makes a sweet marriage. You know the rule? If you cannot think of something nice to say, then say nothing at all. If you're bent out of shape for some particular reason because you're infantile and immature and can't rule your spirit, then don't say anything. Wait an hour. If you're really immature, then wait two hours. Wait as long as it takes until you can say something nice. The idea of saying whatever comes to mind whenever you feel like it is real, real bad and wicked and foolish and painful to anyone around you. You did not need a seduction seminar to get a spouse, so why do you need one to keep one? You don't. You need to submit to God's word. I need to submit to God's word and just do it the way he says. James says about the tongue, when dealing with speech, James in a list in about six verses said that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, it is set on fire of hell itself, it is untamable, it is an unruly evil, it is full of deadly poison, it blesses God and curses a spouse, and it sends forth sweet and bitter water from the same fountain. That is a wicked part of your body and a wicked part of mine, the speech faculty that we have. But that same faculty is mentioned in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Solomon. In the Song of Solomon, where did, what is the Song of Solomon? It's a song of two lovers talking to each other and talking about each other. Right. Other than that, what is in the Song of Solomon? Not much. It's two lovers talking about each other and talking to each other. Because speech is such a big part of it. We all love to be praised. We all love to be commended. And let's get right down to it. Are you willing to accept this? You love to be flattered. And when it comes from a spouse and the intent is not sin, it's not sin to do so. Because the Song of Solomon is filled with it. James had quite a list. Wow, if that... And you know what? A marriage involves two people bringing that baggage into a marriage. What baggage? Tongues. That's a lot of baggage. That is baggage set on fire of hell. That is baggage that will burn and destroy anything in its path. That, that's terrible. Two tongues put at the same address and they shut the door. Lord, have mercy on us. How did Shechem win Dinah? He spake kindly to the damsel. How does a woman seduce a man? With flattery, honey, sweet things coming from her mouth, and so much and so on and so forth, and things that can be said. The Lord looks at every marriage. You know, in Exodus chapter 21 and verse 10, the Lord looks at marriages and he says, when a man takes another wife, and he allowed that because he is merciful. When When Solomon went to Gibeon, and offered a thousand sacrifices at a high place. The Lord overlooked the high place. 
And the Lord overlooked the fact that he had already married Pharaoh's daughter. And the Lord overlooked the fact that he had already married another pagan woman before Pharaoh's daughter, who was the mother of Adonijah. And he said, ask what you will, because God's merciful. But God's mercy will run out, and it ran out with Solomon. It did not run out with David, because David confessed and forsook his sins, and Solomon didn't. But there are spiritual consequences. When a man took another wife, God looked on that wife, and she better have, I need three things. Food, raiment, duty of marriage, sex. Whose duty? His duty to satisfy her. Those are three things she was to get from her husband. And if she didn't get them, she's able, she's able to walk out of that house and be free woman. God only hates divorce. That's a wicked divorce. God loves divorce when it's a wise divorce. Are there wise divorces? Yes. God divorced Israel. What's a wise divorce? It's a divorce that involves mercy because mercy becomes more important than sacrifice. God hates the corrupt divorces when there isn't a justifiable cause and it's just two lazy people, selfish people, that won't treat each other the way they promised to treat each other and the way he told them to treat each other. It's been said a couple that prays together stays together, but it's much better than that. A couple that prays together has an advantage because of Matthew 18, 19, where it says, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them. There's a book in the Bible that we're going to go to. It's in the poetic section, and it's not the Song of Solomon. I don't think you can handle the Song of Solomon. It's a little too passionate. It's a little too romantic. It's a song. It's not didactic instruction that I want to give you, and I've only got a few minutes left. But I want you to turn to Proverbs, the book of prudence. And this is prudence about marriage. And let me go over a couple of these again and see if I can help you before we go home. Because this is all I'm going to say about marital speech. And you can go online and look at 11 pages of outline and see if there's something there that might help you. Because I don't need to tell you what to say. You just need to do what it takes to win a person. And if what you've been doing doesn't work, think about changing it. God inspired Solomon to give short observations and rules about the effect of words. Solomon knew a lot about relationships because he had lived in David's family. He knew a lot about marriage relationships because he had a thousand wives by the time it was all over. Our proverb commentaries about speech provide terrific advice to learn to practice. If words affect relationships, they can easily affect the most intimate relationship the most. Do words affect relationships? Most definitely. Solomon taught that. Paul taught that. It's taught. Words definitely affect relationships. But words most affect the most intimate relationship, and that's marriage. In marriage, we are closer and give up more, and there's more intimacy, and the pain of hard, harsh, unaccepting, unapproving words hurts more than any other relationship. Any other relationship, the other person can get away from you. In marriage, they can't get away from you. 
and you expect him to be in bed with you that night. It's unbelievable. Words in marriage are terrible. You better guard every single one of them more than anywhere else. Proverbs 12, 18. I know I've taken you here before. I've asked the Lord to show me how in the world I can help all of you and, and help us, meaning Sherry and me. How can the word of God help us? By going right back to some of these Proverbs and maybe forcing you to look at them a little closer. I want to go to Proverbs 12, 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. There are people and there are times that when they use their words, it is like they have a knife and they cut you. But the tongue of the wise is health. A wise person, a good person, a virtuous person, when they speak, they build you up and make you stronger and happier and healthier and, and increase your vitality and vivaciousness. I love vivaciousness. I love having a vivacious wife. But you, there can be a violent person in the house. I'm going to show you verses if we have times. It's vivacious versus violence. What do you do with your mouth? What do I do with my mouth? I'm not mad at anyone. I'm mad at sin. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm thankful that God's word, while it tells us about election and predestination and heaven prepared for us, and God created the heavens and the earth in six days of 24 hours each, while it tells us all of that, it tells us all of this, these things as well over and over and over again. And look at that verse in front of you. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Are you capable of cutting your spouse? Have you ever cut your spouse? Are you capable of giving your spouse health, marital health? Because remember, we're applying these verses to marriage. Marital health, romantic health. Can you light up your spouse and make them more passionate? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. How did Shechem win Dinah? Shechem had an inferior anatomy. Shechem had an inferior religion. Shechem had an inferior culture. Shechem had an inferior everything. How did he win Dinah? He spake kindly. Women love to be spoken to kindly, praised and flattered. Any woman properly flattered, praised and spoken to kindly can bury any man alive. God made it that way. God made everything wonderful in its own way, in its own time. And I mean buried alive. I mean that's under the blankets, <laughs> not under the ground. Proverbs twelve eighteen. You can neuter a spouse. You can neuter your spouse. You can destroy romance. You can destroy passion. Or you can inspire to passionate eagerness. It's in one verse. If you trust God's words, you need to carefully grasp these opposing clauses. Words either cut a spouse down or build them up, making a marriage better or making a marriage worse. But here's what I want to come back to this verse for. Instead of just seeing two extremes for this verse, and there are two extremes, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. When either spouse uses sarcastic sarcasm or criticism or resistance, or rebellion, or name-calling, you know, whatever else you want to get into. Whatever spouse can do that is like a sword cutting the other person, 
That is one extreme. And we have all done it. You have all done it. The other extreme, and I'm only using extreme for a moment. It's a continuum. The tongue of the wise is health. A person that chooses good words, acceptable words, uplifting words, flattering words, praise words, commending words, that's health. It strengthens, encourages, enlivens, and inspirits, and lifts up a person. And so there are the two options of Proverbs 12, 18. This is God's word. This is the way he chose to present it to us. He did not give us a book. Do this, do this, do this, don't do that. He did it this way. And he's saying, there's two ways of talking with your mouth. Which one are you using? But I want to point out to you that there is a large amount of area on this continuum. This is a, a continuum is a line. And over here is an extreme of speaking like a piercing sword, and over here's an extreme of always saying kind, uplifting, gracious things, and in between is no man's land. And do you know why I want to call it no man's land? Because no man ought to be there. I want you to listen very carefully. A sadistic husband, when he's not over here, slashing and burning, thinks he's okay. But no man's land is not okay. No man's land deprives, defrauds, and starves his spouse. That's when you think you're like a business and running it is like running a department at work and everything is logical and you have an answer for it all and the Bible has an answer for it all. When over here is passion, romance, kind, praise, flattery that uplifts a person. This stuff in the middle, it doesn't uplift anybody. It just starves them a slower death. Instead of taking the sword and running them through with it slashing and burning, you just slowly starve them to death. You know, it's really actually easier sometimes just to, just to go down with the slash. Because then you can confess that one later and get it over with. But when you've lived in a marriage where there's just this no man's land in here of starvation and depriving the spouse of the romantic love of Song of Solomon, if you don't talk to each other, either with the spirit or with the words of the Song of Solomon, then you're in no man's land. If you're not building your spouse up by saying good, kind, helpful, flattering, praising, uplifting, romantic, sweet nothings to them, then you're depriving them. And that's what I want you to see from the verse. The Lord has shown me, I can't tell you how to do it because you already know how to do it and you did it once to get married and you would do it again to get married, but you have allowed bad habits to creep into your marriage. You have allowed bitterness to creep into your marriage where you don't practice what you once did. Listen, every single one of you were so creative. You could take a pen and a blank piece of paper and write the most flowery, ridiculous things to that person you're sitting beside. Oh, you were good at it. It would just flow page after page. You could talk on the phone for hours. Texting wouldn't have worked for you. Twitter wouldn't have worked because what is the limit on Twitter? 14 words or something? Somebody knows Twitter better than I do. Is it 14 words? 140 characters? 148. I don't want to miss one. But 148 wouldn't be good enough, would it? Twitter would not work for people in love. Because they can talk for hours. 
There's a guy and a girl missing right now. Is she missing? Okay. There's a guy and a girl missing right now from our church. Eight hours a day. No problem. Six hours a day. It's, and you know what? It's wonderful. In comes one text from one side. You know, I don't have a smartphone. In comes a text. I could listen to them all day. And we just smile at each other. Because we can remember. I love talking to her all day. We remember. Oh, yes. Brethren, they're not here today by the Lord's providence. (laughs) So that I can use them for an example. And I hope everybody before you go home knows exactly who I'm talking about. They will revive your soul by watching them for three minutes. They are glowing at each other. And they love to talk to each other. And they're using kind and gentle words. And so I'm asking you, when you look at this verse, am I helping you with this verse? There is this over here of slashing. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. You cut your spouse. Then there's over here, the tongue of the wise is health. Words are chosen carefully because it's a wise man. And he's thinking, what could she or he hear from me right now that would lift her up, help her, encourage her? And then there's all this no man's land in between that doesn't accomplish anything, but it, but accomplish, it doesn't accomplish anything good, but accomplishes slow starvation. And you starve the spouse, and you starve the spirit of your spouse. Think wisely about the neutral speech in between that doesn't cut, but neither does it build. A marital truce of partnership going through the motions without slashing destroys, destroys love. Our goal is the passion of Solomon's song. They had no truce. There was no truce in the Song of Solomon, only obsessive romance. And that's what we want. A man or woman encouraged by kind, loving, and romantic words will do anything. I do not think that that's Chris's temperament. Just... I love you, Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> Sarah. We know it's both temperaments. That was just to lighten the load. You say, you're the only one that's loaded right now. Well, that's true, but... Our goal is the passion of Solomon's song. And they didn't have a truce. They only had obsessive romance. A man or a woman, your spouse, encouraged by kind, loving, and romantic words, will do anything. You know, going home and giving them one sentence isn't going to work. If you've given them 10 years of starvation, it's not going to work. It's going to be worse. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Because you're going to wonder, where in the world are you coming from since you've starved them with no man's land for so long. So Lord, help us. A confident woman will do anything for her man, but criticism can steal her vitality. It starves her, starves her spirit and heart from the inside out. A confident man is a leader and a lover, but answering again by a wife causes bitterness in him or revenge on his part because he's not being treated with the respect that he knows God's word teaches and that that his wife promised to give him when she married him. 
Simply remember how you dated and that you promised a spouse to do that kind of activity forever. Praising a woman can give her confidence, energy, and joy. It is the easiest aphrodisiac. Criticizing a wife creates fear, insecurity, self-protection. It is a sure anaphrodisiac. Look it up. If this verse is true, and this verse is true, then your words have a dramatic, romantic effect on your marriage. What if you don't slice, in your view, what if you don't slice your wife, but neither do you dote or praise her like a lover? She loses. She loses, you lose. She loses, the Lord loses. The Lord loses, you lose. She loses, you lose. It's win, win, win to do it the Lord's way. Men that do not compliment, dote, or praise, but are critical or often suggestive of doing better without strong approval or acceptance, starve a wife's spirit to death. Women that do not revile their husbands, but are critical, resistant, and wish their life was different, destroy a man's romantic soul and consign themselves to prison. Intelligent adults should not need details after visualizing three options by this verse. Piercings of a sword, tongue of the wise, no man's land, cold war land. We have a truce. We have a partnership. We've settled into something that's convenient for us. We don't have the song of Solomon, we don't need it. We don't have the song of Solomon, we don't want it. Well, God wants it. That's why he created marriage. And so this middle ground is not acceptable. Lord, help us not to accept it. In chapter 18 and verse 21, it puts it this way. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So over here we have death. Over here we have life. And they that eat the fruit of it, and, and they that love it, shall eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs 18 and verse 21, they that love it, the love of the word speech, love of speaking, love of talking, you're going to have one or the other. It's all in the power of the tongue. The tongue is powerful. If If you speak poorly and you cut over here, it's death. It kills a marriage. If you speak kindly and dote and romantically and passionately and flatteringly like the Song of Solomon, it's life to the marriage because it enlivens the spouse that you're speaking to. There's power in speech. Words either add vitality to your married life or sap the life right out of your romance. Again, consider three options. Hurtful speech, helpful speech, neutral speech. Because we comfort ourselves, I'm in here. I haven't said anything really mean for a couple of hours now. I'm in the middle. Or a couple of days or whatever whatever time frame it is. I'm in here, but, but you're not over here. And when the Lord says, husbands, love your wives, he didn't mean husbands, have a business partner with a wife. It was love your wife. And he gave us a poetic book with eight chapters that tells us what passion looks like. It's wide open. It's pedal to the metal. It's, as, it's redlining that baby. I mean you and what you're giving to your spouse. Look at 1819. And I've given you this before. I know that. 
A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. If you've been married for a little while, there are likely some bars there, and you put them up. You put them up because you slashed and burned your spouse. You cut them. You hurt them. And so bars go up. Now, this says about a brother, but there is no one as intimate as a spouse. We can hurt a spouse more with words than we can any brother. If I were to tell James after church that I don't like the color of his truck, he ain't going to be very offended with me. But if I say some things to Sherry that I'll just leave unsaid right now, you know, that's, that's very different. Brother, I love your truck. I was sent out there to take a peek at it by your spouse. She said, get out there and see what James drove today. I've been out there. I don't go out there to look at vehicles. Have I done enough to get me out of what I said? (laughs) When it says a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, that should frighten us. If a brother, if I can offend a brother and make it harder to say I'm sorry and to win him back, what about a spouse where I am much more vulnerable and exposed and cannot get away and have to live with them 24 hours a day. Oh, we should be having little sessions as soon as the service ends of apology. You know what? It doesn't have to work right off the bat because they're they're like the bars of a castle. Now, if I was talking to the one that's been offended, I would tell them to cut their bars down because the Lord tells us to forgive and to forgive graciously and easily. But they have contentions against you. It's the word of God. And you know what? It's in this book of prudence called Proverbs. And it's in the passionate book of the Song of Solomon. We can do better on all these things. The, The text says, Brother, if true of a blood brother then what of marriage to an outsider? Marriage, you marry an outsider. If a blood brother can be offended so that it's like a strong city and like the bars of a castle, you marry outside family. That's why why the adage, blood is thicker than water, because family sticks together more than marriage. So it hurts. It hurts. When some foreigner, when some stranger from another family cuts you, listen to me. Listen to God's word and think about marriage in light of Proverbs 18, 19. Waiting's not going to take the bars away. They simply withdraw from sight a little way. Love is passionate to pursue a spouse and to win them back and to undo past offenses. And we can and must do it. You can win an offended spouse. Look at 25.15. 25.15. By long forbearing is a prince persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. If you, can, if you can win a prince and persuade a prince, you can persuade your spouse. It's just going to be harder than the prince because marriage is a more intimate relationship than with any prince. Look at 16.24. Back, if you, you know how many verses, I hope you do, in the book of Proverbs about speech. 1624. 
pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. What if the rest of this day, it's only pleasant words. And then if you make it through today, tomorrow, only pleasant words. Look at what God says to us. This is the inspired, preserved words of the living God. Pleasant words. Pleasing words. Words that please your spouse. Not words that please you. It's words that please them. Pleasant words are as in honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and health to the bones. That is a vivacious marriage. That is a a vivacious spouse. That brings vitality to a man. That turns a man into a loving leader when pleasant words are used. And it'll turn a woman into a vivacious lover when pleasant words are used. How long have you been here with dabbling over here? What about if we just all went here? Why not? Oh, sound good? It's, it's, it is good. It is good. Look at 23. The heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and addeth learnings to his lips. You and I need to assess those three sections of the continuum. Where am I from piercings of a sword to the tongue of the wise being health? Where am I in here? I want to slide over to this and do more of it. And we can do it. Because the heart of the wise teacheth his mouth. I am not going to talk to my wife. I am not going to talk to my husband the way that I have any time again. I'm going to add learning to my lips and speak better. And I'm going to apologize for the times that I've done it in the past. I'm going to get that cleared up. Look at 15.4 since you're close by. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. You can break your spouse's heart. You can be a tree of life to your spouse's heart. One is a wholesome tongue. The other is a perverse tongue. It's a choice. We make that choice. These are the words of God to us. Every one of you married the person you wanted to marry. You picked them out of the whole universe. At that time, just picking averages, there was probably two and a half billion of the opposite sex for you to pick from. But you picked the one you're married to You promised you would love them and do them good all the days of your life. And you sure led them on by the flowery things you wrote them and the flowery things you said to them and the doting and flattery that you gave them. What about now? We should give them more now because we're on the inside of marriage. 15-4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. You can revive. What does revive mean? Bring back to life. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. You can revive your marriage by changing your tongue. But perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. You cut, you cut, you starve the heart of your spouse. Wholesome speech like nutritious food supplies life and vitality to a spouse's spirit. What is wholesome speech? Words that are accepting, gentle, kind, loving, praising. One more, and these I've given to you. You say, why are you going over them again? Because I think you need them again. Because I wanted you to see this. And Sherry knows I've walked around the house for the last couple of weeks like this. As we have talked about it. We talk about all these things in things like marriage relationships. 
a lot. And I don't want you to be content that because I'm not slashing and burning over here, like there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, that I'm a real spouse, that I'm a real lover. Because until you're over here, you're not. You're in no man's land, and that is not where we want to live. That is not the Song of Solomon. That is not being ravished with her love. That is not letting her be as the loving hind in pleasant row. That is like her being a plant in your garden. That is like her being a door swinging in your house. But we want to be over here. 1225. Look at the promise of this. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. That's men or women. Heaviness. We get discouraged. Spouses get discouraged. In the heart of man maketh it stoop. It bows down. It's bent over. There's a weight on it. But a good word maketh it glad. You can lift that person back up with a good word. We can lift our spouses back up with a good word. The Lord sees everything we say, everything we do with our spouses. The Lord knows the temperature of your marriage. The Lord knows the monetary value of your marriage. The Lord knows the vehement flame or the dead candle of your marriage. The Lord sees that. The Lord sees the tears. The Lord knows whether you treat your wife with honor or not, and he hinders your prayers. Believe the word of God about this. We give, we give place to the devil. We are tempted for our incontinency. When there is not passion at the emotional level in a marriage, it will cost you in every way that you can think of. And we want every blessing that God has to give us. We want everything that he intended for marriage to provide, and we want his spiritual blessing by keeping his sayings. He it is that hath my sayings and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me, I will love him. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. This is part of the Christian life. The way we use our tongues. You know the Bible speaks of it all the, all the way through the Bible, but we have tried to take it and apply it to marriage. Can we improve our marriages and make them more passionate and romantic by speaking better to each other and speaking better about each other? And there needs to be change. And let's remember this. Piercings of a sword... Tongue of the wise is health. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Shechem with Dinah. This stuff in here, that isn't marriage. Marriage is over here. This isn't marriage. This is flat out cruelty. Confess them both. To the Lord and to your spouse. And may the Lord bless our words to be pleasant, wholesome words that lift courage and bring life and vitality to our marriages so that our Lord is pleased with us and we realize his best and he gives us his best by his own personal friendship with us as well. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.